Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's leader, Caroline Casey. She's the founder and self-described troublemaker behind the disability inclusion group, The Valuable 500. She'll talk about how bridging the disability data gap can create opportunities for millions worldwide. And she'll share the hard-won lessons that have helped her develop as a leader. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. This is a cultural issue, this is a financial issue, this is a market issue, but it needs to be cracked open with data and leadership. Businesses collect all manner of data points to track sales, profits, and more recently, inclusivity. But despite the strides made for inclusion in recent years, you would likely still be shocked at how little disability data is collected and how small a role disability plays, even in tracking impact across things like ESG performance. Caroline Casey knows this well. She's the founder of the Valuable 500, an organization that represents 22 million workers across 64 sectors. It is the largest global collective of its kind, with 500 CEOs and companies like IBM, Bank of America, and Verizon and more all working together to end disability exclusion worldwide. Key to bridging these gaps, Caroline knows, is aligning on a standard set of key performance indicators, or KPIs, that help companies make progress and help make apples-to-apples comparisons between companies finally possible. This January at Davos, her organization launched a special white paper, ESG and Disability Data, a Call for Inclusive Reporting, one that identifies five KPIs that can help create that baseline for things like workforce representation or digital accessibility. Caroline talked to me at the annual meeting in January about how important it can be to bring disability metrics into a greater share of standard documents like annual reports and how businesses that make progress against these metrics can truly scale opportunity for millions. She also talked to me about her journey in founding The Valuable 500, what she's learned, what motivates her, and how a mentor changed how she thinks about impact and why a leader's self-awareness is critical to better managing people. She'll share all of that, including why she thinks all CEOs should go to therapy. But first, she'll tell us more about the disability gap and how data can close it. Imagine what it would look like by 2025 if every 500 company had disability performance in their annual report. Now, currently, 22% have, but what would that look like if we had all of them? So what would they report on? And this is the big problem. The issue around disability reporting is so complex, and a lot of our companies, it's one of our protected characteristics, right? So you don't have to report about it. So business go, well, what do we report about? Or it's maybe too difficult and complex to just not do it. But actually... We can do it because we've now worked with our iconic companies and set literally into the hundreds of our valuable 500 companies. And we've identified five key metrics that our companies could report on. An employee resource group, do you have them? Do you have goals and do you have measurable targets? Is your, is your technology and your digital presence accessible? What about our self-ID and of our organizations? Do we even know our workforce and how many people with disabilities exist? And lastly is let's train and let's put money behind it. So if we could imagine by 2025, every one of our 500 companies have an annual report and they're measuring against one or five of those. 
that's system change. That's game changing. So to build a collective like we've done, listen, that was history making and we launched it here in Davos and everybody said that was insane. How, how do we ever hope to create a collective of companies like we are the biggest companies in the world? But that's all very well, but what are you going to do with it? And what our very specific piece, and this is where I get excited is because, my gosh, what would it look like if we could get our companies to harmoniously and in a synchronized way, put their, all of their collective action against focused areas. Then we stop having this, these sort of unjoined dots and therefore disability gets diluted like anything else. There's so many priorities a business has. So that's what makes us exciting to come back and do that. And that challenge to business, it goes out tomorrow, which is really big, but we don't expect our companies to do it immediately. You know, we have an ecosystem here to help, but go on the journey with us. Come back on the 3rd of December in Tokyo in 2025 and let's report back on what this 500 has done. Let's hold ourselves accountable and help our companies have the metrics to which they can hold themselves accountable. With, with the data, right, um, uh, we, we've seen uh, companies have been more open about releasing data. In some cases, they've been <laughs> forced to uh, release data about, say, gender metrics and things like that. Uh, and in some sectors, it's still been sort of stubborn. Some of these numbers haven't moved on. What needs to happen, um, making sure that the companies are, are looking at this and sort of using it as a way to propel them uh, for change? How, how can we make sure that that happens? Well, you're right. Like, what are we going to do with the data and who reads the data and, and how and how are we looking at it to inform yes. what we need? So I can only speak to the work we do with our Valuable 500 because, I mean, listen, as I repeated, I mean, you think about 22 million employees and what it represents. So the data we get, it can be read lots of different ways. Yeah. Now, how we use it, whether it's data we want to hear or not, and that's really hard, we're hearing what the businesses want, we hear where they have huge opportunities, where they're failing, and that helps us inform the focused areas of the collective action that we ask them to do. Now, how we would encourage our companies. So if you are collecting the data, but are you using that data to put resources behind, for example, training or goals or accessibility? Are you using that data to put accessibility right up the food chain to where it is vitally important? And then how do we, how does that happen? How can the CEOs or the C-suite do that when they have a million different priorities? Well, look, let's be honest. If we want to change leadership behavior, it has to be incentivized. You know, the shareholders of most of our businesses, I mean, that's the shareholders are like, you know, it's the bottom line. So we have got to start educating our shareholders in the longer game and their responsibility, because let's be honest, they don't really want that, because that therefore incentivizes or helps us incentivize our leaders at the top to have behaviors that are not just about the bottom line. I mean, let's be honest, if you're in a position like that, you have to have good behavior rewarded. And whether that's around the environment or your people, we need that to be measured in salary and performance, not just the bottom line, which requires us to educate our shareholders. What um, surprised you? Were there any metrics uh, from your own white paper that were, you know, you, you're in this space, but was there anything that came through you like, oh gosh, <laughs> or something that even that deepened your understanding? Like, okay, that's really interesting. Like what, what, what comes out to you? Well, look, I'll tell you the first thing that when we created the Valuable 500, you know, and we started, I was still amazed of the level of fear, yeah. uncomfortableness, to be a little bit more negative, excuse making, well, we don't know, right? 
So then let's go back to what we're doing on inclusive reporting. Well, you don't know. Let's help you get that data. We don't know what to do. Well, let's show you who's out there and the fear. So this is terrifying results. So when we did a piece of work in 2021 Tortoise Media, and this is FTSE, so this is UK based, and I understand I'm going to say that. Not one person disclosing having a disability was in senior leadership above. So let me just clearly say that nobody in leadership of our FTSE 100 companies claimed to disclose. Now that cannot be true because 80% is invisible. It also cannot be true because we did a piece of research with EY and it was saying 7% of our C-suite did. So there's the fear. So when we look at then, for example, self-ID, do you know that 16 of our Fortune 100 companies dare to ask or have self-ID in 2021? Okay, it's 19 in 2022, but seriously, that's very low. Only 22% of our companies in the Valuable 500 were reporting on anything to do with disability. 78% are not. Let's go to accessibility. A third, a third of FTSE 100 companies don't have accessible websites. So can you hear that we have crafted the data that we want to collect, the reporting we want to get, because it's a, it's a really reflective, not just anecdotally in the conversations you have, but it's also reflective of the fear that exists. And that fear is, is stopping companies beginning because they think they get better return on investment if they maybe focus their area on another area of inclusion. But what our challenge is today, and look, we have to, we talk about a fragmented world. Why are we fragmenting our humanity into silos? And I was really surprised to still see the silo effect of gender 2023, race 2025, and disability was invisible. So when you're collecting and informing what we want our companies to do, find out who's in your workforce, put the money behind the training, set your goals and put your targets, see how many people are connected to disability in your business. You know, that's what we're asking our companies to do, because let's be honest, what is, what it, what I am more concerned about is there are 80% of employees with disabilities, or 80% disability is invisible. We know that 12 to 16% of our current employees in our valuable 500 are disability and they're not disclosing. Why? Why are they not disclosing? This is a cultural issue. This is a financial issue. This is a market issue, but it needs to be cracked up with data and leadership. You're a founder uh, of the Valuable 500. What was the turning point where, where you kind of led you to be like, okay, no, now, now I need to, somebody needs to do something and that's me. Well, first of all, the Valuable 500 is personal. You know, I've been in space now for 23 years as a disability activist and troublemaker. I have a lived experience myself, which I hid. And I came out of the disability closet in 20, oh, just at the year 2000. So I don't want that to continue. Um, but the big, there was a personal turning point to make the Valuable 500 happen. And it was my, the unexpected death of my father. And that does make you examine, well, what am I here for? But the professional reason was when my father died, I'd been working in the space for 16 years and still disability lay on the sidelines. Still, we saw companies who were 90% of them claiming to have a comprehensive view of inclusion, only 4% of disability. And you know what? When dad, when dad died, I went, well, you know what? 
when I hope to go, I hope that is just got to change. So I think, and a very interesting thing, the power of grief yeah. <laughs> is, a, is a great way to challenge you. And I really brought my heart into the Valuable 500 with a lot of strong evidence base. And I think that was the magic. It's bringing the head and the heart. You said you mentioned you have lived experience uh, in, in this space. Um, how does that also sort of help guide you when it comes to sort of uh, prioritizing what uh, initiatives and uh, sort of where the resources go? I have to be very careful as a person with a lived experience. I have a disability and that I can't speak for anybody else. But what I can speak to is working, being part of our community and working collectively together. Fertility fundamentally changed the business system. And I know business always comes back and they have so many priorities and not another thing. I mean, you can literally see it in the back of their, because they are, they have short resources and, and it's tight, it's getting tighter and tighter. You don't have to, to do more. You don't have to add another silo on. Can we not integrate disability into the other inclusion programs that already exist? Integrate it into your sustainability program ask accessibility questions, make it part of. We're asking for interconnectedness and an intentionality behind it. It's not something else to add on because disability in all of the inclusion issues, it's there. And every single one of us at some point in our life is going to have a disability. Weave it in. In the creation of uh, the Valuable 500 and the running of it, um, like, I'm sure there's many moments where you thought, oh gosh, like we're just, we're just hitting walls. And you're not entirely sure how you're going to get past it. You get through it, but at, there's a moment where you're like, ah, you know, how did you, uh, can you tell me about a moment where that happened and, and how you got through it? My gosh, there's so many moments. Anybody <laughs> who's an entrepreneur and anybody who's an activist and anybody who's trying to do something that hasn't been done, oh my gosh, many. But I will tell you when uh, I roared on the main stage of One Young World in 2017 and saying, why can I knock out one CEO, one leader? I hear you talking about everything else, but why aren't you not talking about disability? And I was, you know, the way you're just going, I'm going to give up. This is going to be my like swan song. And it was in Colombia that Paul Pullman stood on stage. I didn't, you know, he would have been, you know, the one that I had really wanted. And today he's the chairman of the Valuable 500. And then there was times that I wanted to launch the Valuable 500 on the main stage of the World Economic Forum in 2019. You know, disability had been in maybe special sessions, in the cultural session, but it never taken main stage. And I honestly, to get it on the main stage, yeah, that was hard. Um, and then making 500 companies come and want to work with you. No money, remortgaging houses. So what kept me going? Um, I keep trying to develop myself as a leader. I keep trying not to take failure per, um, personally because that does not make me a good leader. Um, I do exercise a lot <laughs> and I have, I have really, really good friends and people around me. But when I probably get the most scared that I'm not going to do it, I do have to go silent. I have to go into myself and go into that confidence and belief in yourself and that ball of passion, maybe when only one or two other people believe in you and you just have to go, is this the right thing to do? Uh, you mentioned that you um, you continue to, to develop yourself as a leader. Um, what's some things that you have been, you know, uh, working on and developing and making better, faster, stronger? <laughs> oh my God, that's such a good question. Um, this is like therapy. Um, I would say the most important thing I've learned in myself is when I, this is going to sound maybe very fluffy, but it's very important. The better I am, 
the more aware I am of, of myself, um, the more I'm accepting of who I am, I am a better leader. Yeah. And having done a lot of work on myself, uh, and I very keenly own it, actually, if I had, if I had one thing in the world, I'd put every CEO through therapy. I mean, honestly, I would nearly make it a prerequisite. Do your work because then you can lead because you're, we're leading people. We're not just making markets, we're leading people. So if our leaders are not self-aware, have not done their work, right? I mean, you don't make great decisions when you've not done your work. So um, the biggest thing, the three lessons I've learned as a kind of now an aging entrepreneur in the space, because I'm 51 and very proud, um, is... You really need not to take failure personally. You have to try to see that as an opportunity and an open door. Your business is not your family. And though that you need to have a very soft front, but a strong heart, we're here to deliver impact. We're here to deliver change. We're here to deliver. So it's really, I've learned that because I wanted everybody to like us and it would be great. But it's moving as you scale a business from family into really impact. And that does not make you popular. And the third thing I've learned is make the big, tough decisions fast. Just pull off that bandage um, because in that gap of uncertainty, that lack of confidence, I think, can have a detrimental effect. And I think last of all, go with your gut. Your gut instinct. I have made the greatest mistakes in my life when I stopped having confidence in myself and I listened to other people. Listen to your gut. Listen to your gut. Listen to your gut. <laughs> is, is there a piece of advice that you have always been grateful for? Uh, so many again. Um, but I'm going to say one thing that was very uncomfortable advice given to me was by Bill Mitchell. He was uh, the C one of the former CEOs of Arrow, which is like a Fortune 200 company. And he was mentoring me. Um, and he said, Casey, because he used to call me Casey. Um, like, yes, you're a system thinker. Yes, you have great vision and ambition, but remember 80% is good enough. I was like, what? But it has to be perfect. And he just went, if you want to scale change, if you want system change, 80% is good enough. Perfection is what gets in your way. Get out of your way. Get out of your own way. Um, is there a book that you recommend? Loads of books. Um, I am a big lover of Brené Brown and uh, Rising Strong was a, actually one of the books I read in one of the moments. Will I ever get funding for the Valuable 500? Uh, thank you, Nippon Foundation, we did. Um, Rising Strong by Brené Brown and Daring Greatly. The reason I think Brené Brown, as like Susan Cain, whose book is called Quiet, they blend personal stories of themselves and of research with very compelling data. And I think to have personal change and when we're looking at cultural change in our business, we need that. But the, the thing that I loved about Brené Brown's work is own your shame, be vulnerable, be human in that because that's your greatest strength. I'm starting to see CEOs do that. Because when we work with CEOs, we see CEOs telling their stories. And that very vulnerable place is the greatest strength and the impact of the teams around them. So Brené Brown, every CEO, Brené Brown. Uh, we are in a poly crisis. We've got an economic crisis. We've got an energy crisis, a climate crisis. Um, uh, how can leaders prioritize in a time like this? First of all, we have to learn how to manage chaos. 
and to deal with uncertainty because we the one thing we once again a cliche and we're certain we're uncertain this is a decade of disruption it's deeply difficult so the biggest thing before we tell our leaders <laughs> to prioritize my thing is are we helping our leaders have the skills to do transformational change managing uncertainty managing people around them i think the big thing is if you want to talk about all of this place moving forward we've got to do things differently we have to see different leadership on boards i'm sorry and on our c suite because we can't see the same people in power those voices i think we need to start seeing a very different um approach to how we are building our cultures in these hybrid very difficult new work setups that exist um and i think the biggest priority is is not to silo our work around inclusion inclusion is all for everyone or not at all so for me it's not about continuing this sort of polarization or siloed you know which is very divisive but when we talk about inclusion we need to have a universal approach to that see where the overlap is see where the uh, the symmetries are and then focus we need resilient leaders in this time um what does resilient leadership need mean to you and you know how can uh leaders put that into practice the first thing is not to be hard on yourself you know it's it's hard leading is hard and it is really lonely and if you're talking about your your resilience is first of all to know that um i think also to lead is not to be light all the time and i think that's hard some of us are people pleasers i'm a recovering people pleaser but it's it's really to understand the confidence of your business and to know this is not about popularity but doing what is right and always doing what is right i think a big piece around resilience is owning when you didn't do so good and not being frightened about it and being accountable because that's what builds trust not just with yourself but with other people and i think a big part of resilience you know sometimes is getting a bit of context and putting what you do in the broader aspect of your life we as people are not the roles that we sit in and hear come talk to you as a podcast or that you're a ceo you're a person and it's how we live our lives and that we understand how we're turning up in our business world needs to be very much about who we are and the values that we have as a human being and never forget to give yourself that time and to take your eyes up and look around at your family your friends the nature do not underestimate the balance of the joyful things in your life whether it's dancing love a dance floor you know whether it's reading whether it's photography whether it's just i don't know putting a flamingo in your back garden you know let's bring in the joy of ourselves as human beings because it can go like that it can go like that and honestly we have this choice in this sort of disruptive moment to change the way our business cultures can function making sure it's human centered that was caroline casey thanks to her and thanks so much to you for listening a transcript of this episode and my colleagues episodes radio davos and the book club podcast is available at wef.ch/podcasts if you like that episode check out episode 57 with carney's alex lou he takes us through some research his consulting firm has done on joy at work what's needed to make it happen and how we can all attain and protect it 
This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me, with Juan Toran as studio engineer, Taz Kelleher as editor, and Gareth Nolan driving studio production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lucina with the World Economic Forum. Have a great day. <laughs>